0: You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit MyElevationCC.org. My name is Joe Francis. I'm blessed to be one of your elders here at Elevation Community Church. And we're in our series... God's church, our response. We're looking at the entire book of Ephesians, and we've gone through three chapters of Ephesians so far. This morning, we're going to be discussing chapter four of Ephesians. Before we do that, though, I'd like to give you a quick recap of chapters one, two, and three. Chapter 1 gives us some information about God and our salvation. We've got a verse up here from chapter 1, 13 through 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Some parts up here. When you heard, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the gospel of your salvation came into you. You understood that. You believed. You believed in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Amen, amen, chapter one. Chapter two, our transformation as believers. You were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive Together with Christ, by grace, you have been saved. You understand? There was nothing, absolutely nothing that we could do for our own salvation. And Paul tells us that. We were dead. That was our position in Christ. We were dead in our trespasses, dead in our sins. Chapter three tells us, What we're discussing during this whole series, the formation of the church. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. The body would be the church, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. At the time Paul wrote this, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. The Jews wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. But the Gentiles became part of the same body if they believed in Jesus Christ. Right. They became the church. And this was the mystery that was revealed to all at that time. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 had a lot of theology, a lot of teaching about God, about salvation, about the church. Now in chapter 4 forward we're going to be getting into detail about us. We're going to read chapter 4 this morning, but before we do I want you to recall again that our focus is the church and there's going to be parts of chapter 4 that we are not going to talk about. Did Jesus go to hell, which I've addressed among this body in the past and my short answer is no, I don't believe Jesus went to hell. I'd love to have a conversation and talk to you about that. But we're not going to discuss that this morning. We're also not going to be addressing the very important topic of church offices like teachers and elders. Our focus this morning is going to be on the church. So I listened to a teacher a couple of weeks ago discussing chapter of Ephesians. And he said, will you open up your Bibles with me, please? And I'm going to read the first three verses to you. And then he went on to talk for at least an hour. We're going to talk about the whole chapter this morning. There's a lot of content in there, so I should have you out by the time you have to go to work tomorrow morning. (laughs) Okay. If you open your Bibles with with you or Follow with me on the screen. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk As the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Father God, Uh, These words are so, so, so powerful. (sighs) Let us understand them, Father. We can't understand them on our own, Father. We need you. So let your spirit speak through us, God, as you are in us. And let us hear nothing, God, that doesn't come from you. Thank you for this time together, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now in chapter four and forward, the discussion is about the saints. The saints, that's us, we're the saints. Saints are believers in Jesus Christ who have accepted the gospel, the gospel that I recognize that I am sinful. I have sinned and can only be saved from God's wrath by believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Amen. Saints are set apart. They're holy because of Jesus. When when we are in him, we are saints alive today. We're alive on earth, not departed. Listen to this quote about being a saint. Personal holiness is about becoming in practice what we are in position. Remember, I mentioned before that we were dead in our trespasses, we were dead in our sins. That was our position. We have a new position when we become a believer. We have a position in Christ and our personal holiness occurs because of our practice in our beliefs, our practice in our beliefs. So in order for the text of chapters four through six to apply to us, it's important. It's important to understand that this is written for believers in Jesus Christ. You must be a Christian for any of this to apply. Look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Remember, there were two types of people. And he's saying Gentiles did not walk with the Lord. You're different now. You're not walking. You're not living life as a Gentile. Verse 20 says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught about him. You see here, the assumption is that the readers are believers in Jesus Christ. Now, sure, non-Christians can try, can try to be less angry, more humble, or even walk away from stealing but they're going to be trying on their own. Whereas believers in Jesus Christ become less angry, become more humble, and can walk away from stealing because of the gratitude that they have in their hearts for Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit that is within them. Saints live lives that are in Christ. Okay, now we just read a lot of text about how the saints should live and act. That's directed to each one of us. And it is personal. It's getting personal. Ooh, I don't know if I like that. I don't know if I like that. But it is personal. But wait a minute. If it's so personal, this series is about the church. What do my personal behaviors have to do with the church? <laughs> well, let's look at this diagram for a minute. Paul starts by speaking to individuals, individual people, each one of us. We think, we speak, and we do. Each one of us has a mind, and we talk, and we act and we think. And we also have relationships with other people, families, neighbors, work colleagues, strangers, even grocery clerks and gas stations attendants. Every time that we're engaged with somebody, we have a relationship. We, we engage with other people and they can see Christ in you. You are displaying Christ to them. Now, put it all together. If you put all of us together, we are the church. Every believer in the church has relationships with all of these other different people. Your behaviors impact the church because you are the church. It's our behaviors that reflect the church. We were taught this back in chapter one. In verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Hmm. Now some say that their personal behaviors are personal. Keep your nose out of my business. That's what some might say. But in love, Paul is looking out for the church. And he is teaching us how to look out for each other. When we behave the way Jesus asks us to behave, we reflect him. And the church is a reflection of Jesus. Otherwise, the church is just a copy of what's in the world. And we behave the way that Jesus asks us to behave because of the Holy Spirit within us, causing us to have a desire for his ways, not our ways. So this chapter of Ephesians says that we behave this way for the growing up in all aspects of Jesus for the growing up of all aspects in Jesus, for the growth of the church and the building up of the saints and for putting on our new selves in Christ. Hmm. Now, let's look, though, at the opposite of these behaviors. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. I didn't even know fro was a word. To and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness into deceitful schemes. And then verses 22 and 23 say, Now this I say and testify in the Lord. This is what we do not want the church to represent. So, can we talk about the culture just for a moment? The world around us. I think, um, especially after the vote, this last, the statewide vote this last week, we can see that there may be a lot of people that don't know God. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Hmm. What does it mean to have itching ears? It means these ears need scratched to get satisfaction This is the sin problem that has been in the world since Adam and Eve. Sin is anything that goes against God's moral character. The more we read the Bible, the more we we understand and learn about God's character, what he is like and what he asks his creation to do. God is truthful. God is good. God is loving. God is merciful. We learn these things from reading the Bible. And yes, God's perfect justice includes perfect wrath. But what if what if we think of sin differently? How would that change our perspective on what is right? And what is wrong? So now consider this other definition of sin, a definition that is used by some churches. It starts out, sin is simply this. If I do not love God and put him first in my life, this is a sin. If I mistreat others or myself spiritually, emotionally, Or physically, it is a sin. Love is the basis for all of God's laws, old and new. Sin is the absence or distortion of this love. Oh, that sounds good. That sounds really, really good, particularly if you consider the verse that we're taught is the most important to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and with all of your soul. And to love your neighbor as yourself. It kind of fits. It sounds good. But let's look a little more carefully. What does this say about mercy? What does this definition say about grace? Grace. And importantly, what does this definition say about truth? In fact, using this definition, the one that's on the bottom, means that truth is whatever you want it to be as long as it is based on love. Can you see that in there now? It's whatever you, truth is whatever you want it to be as long as it is based on love. That is, so if the Bible says something is wrong and that opinion is not loving, according to this definition, it's a sin. Now let's consider the words of Jesus as he was sending out his apostles. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The culture is tricky, folks. The culture can creep into our church. At Elevation Community Church, we will be teaching biblical truth. We know that when we become a Christian, we become a new creation. We no longer have an identity that is associated with our sin. Verse 24 in Ephesians says, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Our identity is not an alcoholic Christian. Our identity is not An adulterous Christian, we do not identify with our sins. We identify with Christ. We work on our sinful nature and call ourselves Christians saved by grace. Okay, so please, please, please understand we are all sinners in our past are a whole bunch of sins. A whole bunch of sins. So it makes no difference. No difference. If your past included stealing, if your past included gossip, if your past included homosexuality, or any other sin. At Elevation Community Church, we love you. We love you. You are all welcome here at ECC. And we have been where you have been. Please understand that this is from our heart. This is from His heart because He loves you. We are sinners saved by grace and given mercy to live lives according to the Bible. We will encourage each other here at ECC. We will correct each other here at ECC when necessary. We will serve each other here at ECC as we did yesterday. For those of you who were part of the service project, it was incredible. Thank you for serving. We're going to help each other here. And we're going to live life together as a church family. That's what this is all about. However, the ever. Changing ways of the culture will stay in the culture, not in the church. So, how does the culture get into the church? By changing truth or by disguising lies as light? I can think of growing up in Columbus, Ohio. When I was young, we only had three television stations. Yes, there was such a time. There were only three television stations. They're all network stations. And there was a lot of talk about how those network stations were getting a little more permissive and a little more salacious. Then we got cable TV. We had a little box on there. Every, te- every teenager knew how to cheat to get the channels that you didn't pay for. And permissiveness and rules were thrown out the door. Everybody was watching this stuff. This is the stuff that started to creep into the church because it became normal. It just became normal. Everybody was doing it, Right? Everybody was watching it, right? Same thing happens with printed material. Think of books. I don't know. Go back 100 years for books. Then bring it forward 50 years. Books had lots of good stuff in it. They still do. Books are great. I would encourage you to get your own library, even if it's a bookshelf with a few books on it. Read books. Books are good. But books progressed. Then we had magazines. Magazines. And then came some adult stuff in magazines that was available everywhere. And it became normal. And everybody thought it was normal. And those normal ideas started to creep into the church. Think of the internet. When I was early in my career, I worked on a project called Video Financial. Um, It was a really, really cool project combined AT&T, Knight Rider newspapers, and a few banks. And we had some electronic devices. This was back in the early 80s, long before the internet. And I had a little box on my television, on my console television. You couldn't steal those. those nobody wanted to steal a console television. <laughs> I had this little box on there, and it turned my television screen into a little into a big computer screen. I can read the news, I could order tickets for a theater in town, I can see what the weather is. That's how it started out. Great intentions to deliver content and information to people across the country. Well then came the internet. And then fast forward to today, look at all of the websites that are available, all of the different things you can do in the internet and I'm not encouraging you to go to these other sites, but if you look at how sites are ranked today and what the top sites are on the internet, what most people look at, has a lot to do with our sinful nature. And people are thinking those things are normal. That normalness starts to creep into the church if we are aware of it. Our itchy ears are getting scratched. Let's be aware and alert of these things and the subtlety of our culture. We need to be. We need to be, church family. In order to do that, let's learn more about the Bible. So now, going back to Ephesians, we can see why Paul's giving us so many different exhortations here, so many different commands here. You have, I think, a card in front of you, a paper in front of you. Good. There's a paper in front of you that lists a lot of these teachings. Let's just look at a couple of these. You can see from the list that Paul gives us, that we're supposed to be gentle, that we're supposed to be patient, that we're supposed to be tolerant, diligent, to be unified together, and doing works of service together. But I want to call your attention to verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, that's us, that's the church, joined and held together by every joint and with, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body, again, that's us, that's the church, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, being a Christian means that we are supposed to be maturing spiritually. It's an ongoing process. We don't just become a Christian and then, boom, we're done. That's all there is to it. Okay, what's next? It's not like that. We're a Christian and we need to do things every day. We mature every day. If you call yourself a Christian and you look back five years From where you are today, if you can't see a change in your life, then ask yourself, what have I not done? Have I read the Bible in five years? We've got to ask ourselves, we should be constantly changing. We regularly need to be reading the Bible. We regularly work together with each other. And we regularly get to know each other. We're the church. We're the body that Paul's discussing here. Would you expect a doctor to never have read a medical book? I can't think of that. How can we be a Christian if we never read the Bible? How can we learn more and more about God if we never read the Bible? So we're supposed to be growing together. Just growing together. Now lastly, let's look at verses 4 through 6. It says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Some theologians call these the seven ones. One body, Jesus in the church. One spirit, a real person that is within us. One hope in his return and in eternity. One Lord, there is nobody else or nothing in front of us. Jesus is our Lord. One faith, all of us understanding. One baptism, that's our public declaration. And one God and Father, the other two persons of the Trinity. These ones are what binds the church together. Keep the church together. I'd like to call up the band again, please. If you come back and join us. Because I'm going to summarize here. And I'd like for you to write down these three points from what we discussed this morning. These three points are important for us to understand from Ephesians 4. Number one... Our personal behaviors will be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church. Our personal behaviors will be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church. I want to I give a quick example. Now, I, I need something on the screen that says, you know when you watch movies and say, um, any Any character fictitious in this movie is no relation to anybody out there, and this doesn't have anything to do with you. I, I need that kind of screen up here because i 'm going to use an example and i 'm not talking about anybody in here, so please don't think i 'm talking about you when I use this example. I'm not talking about anybody i don 't think this could be anybody but let's just assume for a moment that we have a personal problem with alcohol. And we go out and we have too much. And then we go down to the UDF just to wear off. We just go down there and sit in the UDF and we start becoming a little raucous. We're we're causing some problems. And let's say we do that over and over and over again. And the people in UDF look at that person and they say, whoa, whoa, man, that, that person needs some help. And you know what? They, they go to that church down the street. That person is reflecting on themselves and their family. That person is a reflection of the church down the street. And that re- person is a reflection of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a harsh, harsh example, but I bring it up just because it's so apparent that we can see it. But there's a lot of other things that we do. Whenever we are anywhere, we are a reflection of Jesus Christ. So the summary point number one is our personal behaviors will be a reflection of Jesus Christ and the church, wherever we are, whatever we do. Number two, the culture will always be trying to get into the church in order to change the church. We gotta be aware of that. God does not change. His word has not changed. It's the same today and tomorrow and the way that it has been ever since he gave it to us. We have to be aware of the culture and how it loves to creep into the church. And number three, as a church family, we need to live life together to increase our spiritual maturity. Those three things. Elevation Community Church, we are a church family. We're called to a moral and behavioral standard. So let us meditate on that this week. Let us read our Bibles and think about these kinds of things in order to build our church, to grow our church, and to reflect Jesus Christ through our church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your ways. May we understand what you teach us. And sometimes these are hard things for us, God, to hear. Sometimes, God, we want to turn our heads and just live life like a normal person. But what does that mean, Lord? A normal person believing in you, I don't know. It would be great the average person would be a believer in Jesus Christ. I don't know that it is. But God, we want to be what you want us to be. And we get that from your word. So help us, Father, to live and grow as a church. We are thankful for this church family, Lord. This church family is incredible. There are so many people here who serve, so many people here who love you, so many people here who want to be together, so many people that want to help one another. God, grow us. Grow us to reach out to the communities around us, Lord, to invite them in, to let them know your love and to be part of this fellowship. Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.